0: Well, welcome. Welcome to our second week of our new series, uh, Refined, uh, Pursuing Holiness. And the goal, we explained last week, the goal of the series is to remind us that God's refinement process um, isn't always easy. It's not always fun. It's definitely not a fill-in-the-blank kind of thing. In fact, it's a lot of times it's difficult, painful. Lots of, lots of very, very difficult choices. No easy yes or nos. Lots of tensions. I don't know if you have recognized that as you read through your word. Lots of tensions. Um, lots of friction, right? Paradoxes, right? The Bible says one thing about God's refinement process over here, and then you read in another book, another part of the Bible, it says something like almost opposite. And you're like, okay, God, all right, if you're going you're gonna to work with me and I'm going to work with you, you've got to be really, really clear. You can't be... You know, two different things all the time. This is is making it difficult. I find out, as I've grown older, that learning the Bible is a lot like learning English. I don't know if any of you guys have studied languages, um, but learning English, I guess, is one of the top difficult languages simply because we have so many exceptions to the rule. Right, we have exceptions to rules all over the place, and apparently, if you didn't grow up speaking it, it is a very difficult language to learn because there are so many exceptions. There are lots of what I like to call "yes buts." Right? You ever, you know what a yes but is? Yes but is when you go to the grocery store and you go to the checkout line and you got a 58 cent package of Oreos because they're on sale, and the clerk tells you, "Yes, that package is 58 cents, but you have to buy 11 other packages." You say, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Go out and get your 11 other packages, right? Yes, but. Yes, but. I, there's a commercial out right now. It's an airline. It's a free movie <laughs> with the purchase of earbuds. Yes, but. Yes, but. And I, and I got to thinking about it. Have you ever felt like you were maybe God's little exception to the rule? Right? As you look at your life and you look at the Bible and you look at the rules, you think, how did I get where I am at? Right? You ever feel like God's little like, exception to the rule? Like, God answers prayers, yes, but you don't actually qualify qualify for that particular prayer. Right? You're an exception to the rule. And maybe you've shaken your fist at God and you've said, hey, you know, why am I the only one that always got caught by our parents? Right? What's with that? And as adult, why am I the, always the one that, that gets caught by you and gets punished by you, God, and nobody else seems to get punished? What, what, what kind of ring you run in here, God? Why did my kids leave the church and their kids are all ministers when we did everything right and they did everything wrong? God, why? 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 Why did everybody else's luggage make it, but our luggage that was prayed over didn't make it? (laughs) God's little exception to the rule, right? Why does God bless their dumb ministry and not mine? Why does God answer everyone else's prayers but not mine? Probably because you're calling their ministry dumb. I should have arranged those questions differently. On the other hand, how did those cars get hit but not mine when I know I'm the one that caused the whole accident? Right? God's little exception. <laughs> right? Why am I walking around healthy while true saints suffer cancer? Right? Is that, is that what being God's little exception is all about? Simply put, it's an age-old question. Why do good people suffer, and bad people prosper. At its core, it's the problem of evil, right? We've all looked at this, we've all heard about it, the problem of evil. Why is there evil when there's a good and powerful God? Pretty simple problem. Why do the innocent suffer? So today I want to take a deeper look into these situations when God's refinement process doesn't make any sense at all, right? When God's refinement process seems to have just gone off the rails entirely, like he just forgot what he was doing, and there's huge disconnect, right? We we no longer have the instructor helping us. We're just thrown into the mix and we're we're just struggling to find out what what how how do I make sense of all of this? We shake our fist at God and say, "Well, you got the wrong guy. I'm innocent. I didn't do it." Right? What are you picking on me for? Or we witness atrocities. The folks say, "Well, everything happens for a reason." Well, God must have had a reason. But in many, many situations, there is no discernible reason. I think of Rwanda, right? What lesson was God teaching that he had to allow 600,000 people to be massacred? At some point, you just kind of got to stop and go, wait, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. Was that part of God's plan? Wh- whose lesson was that for? And how about poor old Job? All right, we're going to look at Job this morning. A righteous man experiences unprecedented calamity. His friends insist that a loving, just, and powerful God follows certain rules. We're going to look at those certain rules this morning. God blesses good and he curses evil. That's, that's the rules. Therefore, since Job was suffering, Job, excuse me, was suffering, he must have sinned. But Job knows he's relatively innocent. Relatively innocent. Right? And he demands answers. And here's the kicker. Little does Job know it was all a setup. Right? He's sitting there struggling without any answers, without any idea why all this horrible stuff is happening. And we find out in chapters 1 and 2, God had a conversation with the evil one and allowed the evil one to mess with Job allowed the evil one to wreck his life in order to prove to the evil one that people would still worship me if I stopped blessing them. In fact, they would still worship me if I allowed you to curse them. That's how confident I am in my people who love me and worship me. And it's this very thing that makes the situation so incredibly baffling and confusing for poor Job. Right? According to the rules, this wasn't supposed to happen. See, Job and all his friends and his family believe that God managed the world in a certain fashion. right? Deuteronomy spells it out for us. This is from chapter 30. Start at verse 16. It says, I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commandments, decrees, and laws. Then, okay, there. then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But, right? to get the yes but there, here's the exception to the rule. Right? There's always an exception to the rule. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, you didn't know that God was southern, I don't know where that came from, you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long enough in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. In the ancient world, in today's world, this is called the theology or the principle of retribution. Right? If you're a church goer, it's the theology, and if you're a not church goer, it's the principle. Right? But just kind of the way it works. Call it the providence of God or call it karma. Right? Wherever you're sitting, it can be either one. We all operate by it, whether we intentionally, intellectually, or even spiritually believe it or not. Right? We still tend to operate by this principle. That God blesses us when we're good, and He curses us when we're bad. And it sounds so kind of like, really? And I think most of us still operate by that fashion. The theology or principle of retribution holds that in this world, now that's the caveat there, in this world, we're not talking about an afterlife, anything like that, hell, heaven, all that, but in this lifetime, in this world, the principle holds that good or righteous people are blessed and bad, sinful people are punished, Cursed. For example, if you get sick, right, you get ill, it's a sign that God's punishment, you You did something wrong. Just thought I'd let you know that, if you were wondering. If your business prospers, it's a sign that you finally did something right and and God's blessing you. And you're like, woohoo! And God's word is full of other examples of this principle or this theology of retribution, even though it sounds so not right to us the New Testament age of grace and, and mercy, we, we struggle with it, but it, it's here. It's in God's Word. You reap what you sow. That's the theology of retribution. Remain in me or perish. Don't judge or be judged. Bear fruit or perish. And then there's the Proverbs, right? Lots and lots. Here's, here's just a couple, just two. Proverbs 3.33 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but He blesses the home of the righteous. That's the theology of retribution. The righteous eat their hearts content, but the stomach of the wicked goes hungry. Right? But Pastor Jerry, Pastor Jerry, everybody knows Proverbs aren't really biblical promises, per se. They're, they're kind of more like general ways to live and, and then the very natural consequences of living that kind of life. Right? Be a jerk, you get treated like a jerk. Be nice, you get treated well. It's just... The way God built his character into the fabric of his universe. We can't explain it, but it's obviously there. We all operate by these unseen kind of rules. And that is absolutely true. The Proverbs are, they're not really promises. We have to be careful. They're general principles for living. But I want to, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But on that note of being skeptical <laughs> of the theology or the principle of retribution, what do we do with the blind man in chapter, John, chapter 9 of John? Right? Or the disciples' questions or Jesus' response? You're asking, what is that all about? Let me show you. This is chapter 9 of John. It says this, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. See, they were operating by the principle, the theology of retribution. God blesses those who are good, and he curses those who are bad. He's blind who sinned. There's a connection here, right? According to the, the, the theology and the principle of retribution, there, there's got to be a cause and effect here. Cause, it's just simple, simple as can be. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Like, wait, what? Said so Jesus, "But this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him." And again, as we read that carefully, read that in some other translations, it's not that God caused him to be blind, but that God saw his blindness and made something good come of it. Right? We read Romans eight twenty-eight. This is just an example of eight twenty-eight, where God, Jesus, sees a horrible situation and makes something wonderful come out of it. Again, God had purposes in the man's blindness other than punishing sin. That's not why he was blind. The man's sin or absence of sin made no difference at all in the parable, at all. Or how about the unfortunate Galileans or the Tower of Shalom in Luke 13? Listen to this. Now there was in some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. That's just evil and creepy. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. The passage continues, or those 18 who died when the tower in Shalom fell on them. Do you really think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem at that time? No, that's just silly. He doesn't say that. But unless you repent, you too will perish. And he keeps kind of adding that line just as a side note, basically saying, doesn't really matter who's responsible but when you die, and you will die, and there's a whole different bunch of ways that you can die, but when you eventually die, you better be ready. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't matter who caused your death. When you die, you will die. You need to have a Savior, right? Or things are not going not to go well for you. But more to the point this morning, it appears that Jesus is saying that good and bad stuff just happen to people for no apparent reason. Right? Stuff happens. And the real issue is how we handle it. Will it break our faith when a catastrophe hits and we think, well, now wait a minute. We did everything right. Followed all the laws. We're supposed to be blessed. Why is God cursing us? This seems to be one of the messages of the book of Job. best man on earth suffers the worst calamities which poses a test of faith in the most extreme form right that's the plot of the whole book will job lose faith in god and not so much in the existence of god but in his goodness right even when god appears to be the enemy an incredible book if you've ever had to deal with grief is a book by C.S. Lewis, A Grief Observed. I, I highly, highly recommend that book. Be prepared to just cry buckets and buckets, but to come to grips with a lot of things that you might be suffering, struggling with, the loss of a loved one. But in A Grief Observed, he writes that his greatest fear wasn't disbelief, but believing such dreadful things about God, right? That God could have done such a thing to poor Job, which leads us to think. Could he possibly be doing the same thing to us? Right? That kind of sneaks into the back of your head. Well, maybe God's just trying to prove to somebody that I'm a good guy and he's going to put me through the ringer. Right. There's got to be a better way. The real point of the book isn't so much Job's questions as much as his response to morally unexplainable tragedy. Right? How do you deal with that if you trust a loving and powerful God? He faces an impossible dilemma. Right? The same dilemma we all face when dealing with catastrophe, right? We, we feel betrayed, so we reject God. There, there, there's an option. One option. But this shatters his faith in God. It's his only value that he holds dear. Like, so that cannot be an option for Job, and it can't be really an option for us either. Same reasons. His friends laid out the option. Suffering comes from God. Right? We all know that. That's, that's the rule. Right? God is just, therefore you, Job, are guilty. It's that simple. But Job claims to what he knows is true. Suffering comes from God. He gets that. He understands that. He believes that. God is just, just like his buddies believed. But he concluded differently, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And if he can't arrive at this really nonsensical consequence, right, conclusion, his other choice is to admit that suffering is deserved. He deserves it. Right? If he didn't sin this time, he probably served, sinned some other time, and God's just kind of catching up on paperwork, right? But this compromises his integrity, for he believes himself to be innocent, right? This is going to drive him into a false sense of guilt that's going to wreck him because he knows he's not guilty. And we beat ourselves up when the fact might be that we're not guilty, that we are in fact innocent, but bad things still happen. And I know so many people, when bad things happen, that's their first response. What did I do? What's God mad at me for? And they just tear themselves up when I want to scream. Some bad stuff happens. This might not be about you, right? This might not be about you. And here's the twist at the end. Despite everything, Job is right. He did nothing wrong. A and B don't necessarily add up to C. Right Job's questions, and he despairs for his life of his life, but he refuses to turn his back on God. This is the response that God's looking for. This is the response of faith in the face of insane odds. right? This is faith. Act it out. So what are we to believe about the theology or the principle of retribution? Is it true? Or is it not true? Was it once true? Now it's been dumped for grace and mercy, and where exactly are we sitting right now? Job seems to be saying, stuff happens, deal with it. It's not always about you. But then the ending, I'm going to read the ending now. 42 chapters of the rule, the law, and then at the very, 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 very end... (laughs) The exact opposite. The exact opposite. Here's here's what it says. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who knew him came before him and and ate with him in his house. And they comforted him and consoled him over all the trouble that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring, housewarming gifts, right? Because his other house was destroyed and he's got a new house. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, right, twice as many as before, 6,000 camels, twice as many as before, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, which he had before. And you ask, well, why didn't sons and daughters get doubled? One writer says it was doubled. The other six sons and the three daughters he's going to see in the afterlife. So he is going to see 14 sons and six daughters. It did double. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuch. Nowhere in the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So Job died, an old man, full of years. All right, so 42 chapters. No rhyme or reason, Right? There's not cause and effect, actually. And then, the very last ten, excuse me, the last six verses, he throws his whole thesis out the window. He says, well, actually, <laughs> he does operate by this theory. Job was a good guy, and he got blessed. Totally blessed. Maybe stuff doesn't just happen. Maybe God does still operate his universe, utilizing the theory, theology, principle of retribution. Maybe in this lifetime we can count on the good getting blessed and the bad getting cursed. I want to offer you a way of seeing both sides of this situation, because they're, they're both true. They're equally true. It's a paradox. Right On the one hand, we want God to be in charge of everything right he causes all things by his sovereign power On the other hand we have free will and we recognize sometimes that we suffer we don't do anything wrong it's just the, the rule of proximity we were next to an idiot who did something dumb and we had to pay for it also it, it, it happens other people's sins visit on us natural disasters God asking you to suffer for somebody Right, so we we, we understand two different ways of seeing things. And so what I want to do, I want to compare the book of Job to the book of Proverbs very quickly here at the end. And if we do that, I think we can understand, we can, we can make sense of a God who follows these rules, this, this theology, this principle of retribution, blessing good, cursing evil. But then there are some exceptions to the rule. I mean, can we kind of wrap our heads around that? Yes, he follows certain rules, but for reasons we'll never, well, we'll one day know. But right now, we don't know. Just like poor Job, he never figured it out. Nobody ever told him. <laughs> it was a setup. Comparing the book of Job to the book of Proverbs. Generally speaking, and we kind of mentioned this a few minutes ago, the Proverbs are true most of the time. Right, their, their general principles are not necessarily promises. we kind of got to be careful about that. There's a fuzzy line in there, and if they weren't true most of the time, they wouldn't have been collected into the wisdom literature, and we wouldn't be reading it in our Bibles. There was something very powerful, very true, but we know for a fact as we go through the Proverbs that they're not true 100% of the time. They're simply not. They're not promises. They are short, easily remembered, very, very helpful in navigating life, navigating family, navigating your business, your relationships. But they don't really flesh out all the yes buts and the exceptions to the rules. Again, they're just easily memorized, maybe overly simplistic, simple, but they don't get into any of the gray areas, and we all know that there's a lot of gray area in life. And as we learn all the yes-buts, all the exceptions to the rule, what do we do? We tend to lose faith in the proverb itself over time. Well, I've seen it not true too many times, so the rest of the proverbs, the rest of the Bible, it's a bunch of cliches. But here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with the proverbs. They still describe the general moral order Of God's universe, right? But they need to be balanced with the reality of all the yes buts and all the exceptions to the rule, right? That's the way we need to read the book of Proverbs. They're fantastic guidance, but they're not lockstep promises. Stuff still happens right in the midst of a really, really, really good proverb. Stuff happens. And these stuff, the stuff, they arise due to whole so many other factors again natural disasters other people's sins god calling you to suffer and you don't recognize it and you're thinking it's a curse when in fact he, he's trying to bless you he's trying to bless somebody else through you and you're like oh no 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 suffering and god never resolved the the paradox for job and he doesn't solve it for us either instead he does something odd i don't know if you ever caught this job's got all these questions about The nature of suffering and the the very nature of God and the nature of the cosmos. And, and, And he's got some very, very lofty, lofty questions about why, why in my moral universe, why? So many questions. And God, what does he do? He launches into a big old speech about nature, right? Nature. Here's what he's doing. He emphasized Job's ignorance of the physical world. There's harmony, there's order in the physical world. And Job, you never notice it. But I do because I'm in charge of it. I I set it all up. This is what I do. You don't get that because you're a human. I'm God and you're not. And in the same way, right, there's order and meaning in the moral world, Job, people. But you don't recognize it because you're not God you don't see all the picture right you see very little of the picture and we come to really crazy conclusions because we don't see the whole picture so job gets to see the physical world and i said yeah this is this is the way the physical world works it's also the way the moral world works it's not lockstep it's kind of messy perhaps most importantly of all god can't be put in a box can't be programmed. He's very amendable, right? But God's God and we're not, right? He has the freedom to act as he chooses. And that's a big message of the book of Job. Right? We go to church growth conferences, and we listen to somebody tell us how to, how to, how to be discipled, and, and how to do this, how to do that. And, and we, we think we can just check all seven, all 14, however many boxes are to check. And then we will experience the exact same results as they experience. But it just doesn't work that way. Right, we Here in this church, we can have all the right people with all the right strategies. But God says, yes, but there's things that you just don't know about. So stop beating yourselves up. Right? I know you want to grow as a church. I know you need money. I know you need. I know all the things that you need. But don't think you can program me. Don't think that you you do it steps A, B and C it's going to equal D. It's not it's just it's not that simple. There are exceptions to the rule. There are things that you simply don't know. Yes, I follow rules. Yes, I'm a loving and I'm a just God, but there are things in this world that I just can't explain to you. I'll explain it to you later. Right? Remember your parents? <laughs> Why? Because Well, explain. Well, you won't understand. So just go to your room. <laughs> God has proven to be a just God. However, for reasons unknown, or excuse me, known only to him, he sometimes allows good to suffer and bad to prosper for reasons only known to him. In the end, I guess the best course of action is to follow the writer's advice from chapter 28. We read it earlier. Let me read the very end of it. It says here, When he established the force of the wind and measured out the waters, when he made a decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm, then he looked at wisdom and appraised it, and he confirmed it and tested it, and he said to the human race, Listen very carefully the fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. Stay away from evil. That's discernment. That's really all you'd need. Like kind of what Jesus told the disciples, right? It doesn't really, in the end, matter where it came from, why it happened. In the end, you just need to have a Savior. And we'll find the answers that God wants us to find. We'll be given answers that he wants to give us. He will reveal what he chooses to reveal, and he will not reveal what he chooses not to reveal. He's God. And I don't like it when somebody says that and, and uses that as an excuse for everything, when there's a lot of stuff that can be explained through our own stupidity, right? To put it all on God is just kind of wrong, right? We're responsible for a whole lot of problems. God had nothing to do with it. In fact, my guess is he was telling us the whole time, no, stop it. This is not my plan. And we just went marching ahead thinking, yep, we're, we're God's army. But again, Maybe our best bet is the same as Job's. Submit to God, obedience to his will, trust in his wisdom, joyfully, thankfully accept anything that life comes our way. Right? Because you might think, oh, fortunate. He's thinking unfortunate. You might think unfortunate. He's thinking fortunate. Right? You're only seeing the event right in front of you, he's seeing way on down the line. He's saying, just relax. Just relax. This is, this is going to turn out amazing. Just trust me. I'm not beating up on you. Right? I'm doing this for your good because I love you. I discipline you because I love you. I don't punish you for joy or to prove my power. That's not what I do. Y'all bow your heads. Father God, thank you so much for the book of Job, for the crazy lessons that we get out of it, Father, you do have a way of ruling your world. You do bless us when we are righteous. And apparently you withhold your hand when we withhold our love. That makes sense. That's fair. But Father, thank you so much that nothing happens in this world that you're not aware of So, Father, this morning, wherever we are in your process, some of us are right up next to your son and others are miles away, but we're all on that journey. Father, give us grace. Give us mercy. Give us uh, wisdom and understanding that you do know what you're doing. And if we just stay away from evil, that's all you ask. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for this service and this message. In your son's name I pray. Amen.